And so, Father, here in the shadow of the cross, we hear this go, go. We've heard it before. I am sure we will hear it again. But as we hear it this time, what are we to do with that go? Oh, God. At the foot of this tree, teach us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you know how tall the world's largest freestanding cross measures? For five times now, you and I have gathered at the foot of the cross of the Christ of the Passion. And I have a feeling as we have been imagining the cross in our minds that we've been, you know, thinking it's pretty much like this. I'm six feet, so that would be what, about nine feet? We picture a nine-foot cross. But how tall, really, is the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ? Let me show you now the world's largest freestanding cross. Take a look at it. We'll put it on the screen for you right now. It's just outside Madrid, Spain. It stands, as you see there, above an underground church in a place called the Valley of the Fallen. It's a memorial to all those who died during the Spanish Civil War. The cross was designed by Juan de Avalos. It can be seen actually from a distance, get this, of 30 miles And how tall is this cross? I'm going to give it to you in meters and you give it back to me in feet. Okay, come on, world citizens. The cross is 152.4 meters. How many feet? Exactly 500 feet tall. Solid stone. Now this church is just about 60 feet tall. Look up. This cross is eight times, over eight times taller than the Pioneer Memorial Church. It's as tall as a 50-story skyscraper. In fact, it is only 55 feet shorter than the Washington Monument. Solid stone. It is a very big cross, ladies and gentlemen. But this school year must not end without our gazing upon a cross that is even taller. I want you to measure it for yourself. It's in the Gospel of St. John. Would you open your Bible, please, to the Gospel of St. John? The tallest cross in all of Scripture, St. John chapter 12. In fact, that line is so important that it's the first line in our brand new study guide. While you're finding uh, John 12, would you also reach into your worship bulletin and remove our fresh... New guide through our teaching today. Ushers are going to now put one in your hand. If you don't have one, just hold your hand up and uh, I want to make sure everyone gets one. There, There is a sequence of quotations here that I hope you'll take home and do some brooding over, some pondering. Those of you who are watching on television right now, if you will go to our website, www, I'll put it on the screen there, www.pmchurch.tv. 
This particular series is called The Christ of the Passion. So click on to The Christ of the Passion. And when you find The Christ of the Passion, then click on to today's presentation, Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World. All right? You click on there, and this identical study guide will come up on the screen of your computer, and you'll be able to fill in this study guide, even as we do. Let's get that first point. Let's just get it locked into our mind. John 12 32 and 33, what is it? It is the tallest, write it in please, it is the tallest cross in all of Scripture. We are about to read red letter words. Words Jesus spoke on a late Tuesday afternoon in 72 hours from this very Tuesday afternoon. He will be dead and He knows it. So these words come out of a heart already caught up in the passion. Alright, the Gospel of St. John chapter 12, have you already found it? Let me find it with you. John chapter 12. And let's pick it up in verse 32. Just two verses here. Verse 32 of John 12. Jesus speaking. Red letters. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Now go on. Verse 33. Jesus he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. There is only one kind of death every Roman and Jew would know of wherein you die by being lifted up. Only one kind. It is execution by Roman crucifixion. And Jesus knows that death is awaiting him. Read it again. Verse 32. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. All people. Actually, the Greek reads, and I will draw all there is no people. That's an inserted word in our English translations. I will draw all to myself. I like how the New Living Translation renders it. Put it on the screen here. And when I am lifted up on the cross, I will draw everyone to myself. Let me ask you, ladies and gentlemen, how high does a cross have to be in order for the whole world to be drawn, for the whole world to see it? 500 feet, would that be enough? How about 5,000 feet? We've got to get the whole world in. Should it be 50 miles high? How high does the cross of Christ have to be in order for the Islamic world to at last finally be able to see the cross? How high does it have to be? The Associated Press on April 6 released a report of Islamic responses to Mel Gibson's graphic artistic portrayal of the cross being lifted up. The April 6 AP report is headline. I'll put the headline on the screen here. Passion of the Christ, a hit among Arabs. I read that article. Responses range from tears to sympathy to anger to curiosity to inquiry. And get this, even the imams, all right, their holy men, are not agreed over whether the passion should be shown or whether it should be forbidden. Some imams say, yep, it should be shown. Others say, no way, it should never be shown in our nation. The Quran actually teaches that Jesus was not crucified. Muslims believe another man was crucified in his place. I have my own copy of the Quran. I just got it, I don't know, three, four weeks ago when I came back from London. Do you know how I got it? I got it from somebody who is coming into the Pioneer Memorial Church here at Andrews University through satellite week after week after week. He's from the nation of Iran. He is a retired professional. I'm not going to give you his profession. I don't want to, I don't want to uh, interfere in any way in his life. 
But since January, we've been carrying on a correspondence. And when he writes letters, I'm telling you, I have one that I got just this last week. It's ten pages long, handwritten, both sides. And finally he said, I want to send you our holy book. Beautiful gold gilded book. I opened the Quran up and sure enough, I found the line. Here it is. I'm quoting to you directly from the holy book of the Islamic faith. I'm quoting now. They neither killed nor crucified Christ Jesus, even though it seemed so to them. Rather, God lifted him up towards himself. God is powerful, wise. Allah Akbar, as they say. And now, into the Islamic world comes the replaying, as it were, of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. What, what did Jesus say here in verse 32? And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. All people. Did you get that? Hey, by the way, is, does all people mean only the West? Hmm? Could it include the East, do you suppose? Does all people mean only those of us in the north? Could it include the south? All people. Could it be even Muslims are included in this being drawn? For all the attacks that Mel Gibson's production has received at the hands of fellow Christians, I am grateful God is able to use even this Hollywood production to tell the story of the cross to Muslims. There has been a letter circulating in cyberspace. I got a hold of it and I want to... Read it a line or two to you. It's from a Christian uh, tent maker. You know what a tent maker is? Tent makers are professionals who go into lands undercover, as it were. Their objective is the gospel commission, but they have another. They have another front, another uh, a profession they're pursuing. A Christian tent maker from the country of uh, Q A T A R. Now, I'm going to say Qatar, but I know that during the Gulf War, I heard uh, our newscasters pronounce that country's name, and it's not like that. So, um, however you want to pronounce it, you can picture the country. Now, here comes a letter. Today, very possibly, was the most significant day we have seen in nearly 12 years of living in the Middle East. To everyone's shock and surprise, the passion was released today here in Qatar. Just a few days ago when N, whoever N is, prayed for it to come to Qatar, we knew it was opening in the United Arab Emirates in about a week. I honestly had no faith whatsoever that her prayer would be answered. Until now, we have only been able to see the Jesus film in Arabic to a ha- show it to a handful of Qataris in the secret of a home setting. And now, the story comes on the screens of their cineplexes. Since the last email, apparently this is a collection of emails, since the last email so much has happened, I simply do not know where to begin. In all humility, we have to say that in just a few short days, more Arab Muslims have been able to clearly clearly hear and see the gospel in their own language than we would be able to reach in a lifetime of ministry in the Middle East. I like this. We are just walking around in our own version of a shock and awe campaign. Hmm. Can you imagine? They never would. You, you want me to come to your house to watch a little video? Yet? For, what's it about? Forget it. And now by the hundreds and thousands, they go to watch the crucifixion. Ah, what's happening? Let me just jump, jump to the end of the, uh, the, the email here. Today after class, two of my Qatari girl students came up to me and asked, Do you have the New Testament in Arabic? Me and all my friends want to read it. 
And another asks where to get it on the internet. This, all caps, this has never happened. The film is generating so much interest in Jesus and the scriptures. Every Christian we talk to seems to have a story or two just like this. May it continue watching God at work, one working in Qatar. Signed. Wow. You mean even Muslims? How how does this go here? Verse 32, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Apparently, Jesus means even Muslims. Even Muslims. Which is why when it comes to the movie The Passion, perhaps we would all do well in the end to heed the wise counsel of the venerated scholar Gamaliel. When he stood up to speak at the trial of the apostles in Acts chapter 5, I'll put Gamaliel's words on the screen. He says, listen, let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found to be opposing God. Whoa. The Muslim world has heretofore never been so exposed to the story of the cross. Shall we oppose that too? (laughs) Or maybe, instead of criticizing someone else's passion to share Jesus with the world, we ought to be praying for a little bit of that same passion ourselves. Which, by the way, is what John... Chapter 12, verse 32 is all about Christ's undying passion for lost people. In fact, did you know that John 12, 32, write this in your study guide, please. John 12, 32 is the gospel, write it in, gospel commission in John. It's the only commission you will find in his gospel. Now, it's true. As the the, uh, lady sang just a moment ago at the end of Matthew, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them, I'm with you. You have that at the end of Matthew. You have it at the end of Mark. Ditto for Luke. But nothing in John at John's ending. Oh, it's true. You have near the end of John, the resurrected Christ appearing to his disciples and talking about shock and awe. And he says to them, uh, John 20, 21, he says to them, peace be with you as the father has sent me. Even so, I am sending you not a word about where to not a word about what we're supposed to do when we get there. Not a word at all. You know why? Because when John writes his gospel, he makes certain that the commission is given 72 hours before the execution. John has it right there first. He has it in John chapter 12, verse 32. Let's read it again. And I read letters and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. That is Jesus gospel commission in John. In fact, write it down in your study guide, please. Where am I to go to? Okay, what's the mission? Where am I to go? Jesus says, all people. Write in the word people. All people. That's where you're to go. Yeah, but what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to say? What's my message? Write it in, please. You lift high my cross. Write in the word cross. It's the gospel commission in John. In fact, Jesus says, fill this in, please. Jesus says, go to all and tell them the John 3.16 story. That's what you're supposed to take. John 3.16. Write it in. The most beloved text of all Scripture. How does John 3.16 go? Let's put it on the screen and you and I will say it out loud together. For God so loved the world 
that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Go to all. Go to all. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, go to all happens to be the message on my license plate for the little car that I drive. In fact, I'll show you. Right there. There it is. Go to all. I was really quite glad to have that license plate until this last week when I cut off somebody in the traffic. And one of you, and he's sitting here, who when, he, when, when that happened, muttered when he saw that tag, he said, oh, brother, it's one of those Adventists. And then went on to think some very dark thoughts. And then when he caught back up to me, oops, he saw who it was. It's the pastor. And so last Sabbath, we both had to apologize, me for my driving and him for his dark thoughts. <laughs> Go to all. Go to all Muslims. Go to all Buddhists. Go to all Hindus. Go to all secular, postmodern pagans. Go to everybody. Go to the whole world and call the world back to me. Tell the world you can come back home to the Father. My arms are as outstretched as that cross. If you just lift this outstretched embrace up, I will draw. Go to all the world. How did Jesus put it? And I... When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Ladies and gentlemen, write it down, please. His command is a commission and his commission is a command. Jot it down. Jesus is saying, you lift me up. See, that's the command. You lift me up and I'll draw them in. That's how it works. You lift me up. I'll draw them in. You lift me up and I'll draw them in. You lift me up in the workplace. You lift me up in the play place. You lift me up in the school place. You lift me up in the home place. You lift me up and I'll draw. You can't draw. I'll draw them in. So how shall we lift him up? I mean, what am I supposed to do? What are you supposed to do to lift him up? There's one other line to this story that I must make certain you catch before I sit down. The line is actually tucked away in the preamble to, to this gospel commission in John 12. And so I want to go back and just, it, it's a, just a little vignette of a story. Let's go back to verse 20. I want to share that story with you. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. I want to tell you something. The Greeks are wonderful people. We were over in Cyrus a few, Cyprus rather, a few uh, uh, weeks ago and you know, the, the Greek Cypriots hold most of the island. There's a little Turkish enclave. But everything's in Greek. Everybody speaks Greek. Everybody is, you know, essentially that, that warm, exuding Mediterranean friendliness. So, John is telling the story. Big Passover weekend, but guess what? Some strangers come walking into town and they're from Greece. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. And so, verse 21, these came to Philip. You know why they picked on Philip? Because Philip has an, an Hellenized name. It kind of sounds Greek. And so they went to Philip of Bethsaida from Galilee. And they have one passion. You see, the world has a passion too. They have a passion. And I like this. They say to Philip, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Isn't that something? We wish to see Jesus. And do you know what Philip does? Philip does not know what to do. Of all the gall, they're coming to me and asking to see Jesus. What am I supposed to do? And Philip runs off to Andrew. He says, Andrew, what are we supposed to do? Let me tell you something. Some of you are getting ready to go off for a summer. You're going to have a job somewhere. 
You know, when somebody comes to you and asks to see Jesus, you don't have to go consulting. You don't have to ask. You can take them yourself. I, I have been for the last two years carrying on a cyberspace correspondence with a woman who identifies herself this way. Her very first email to me when she found uh, the website by accident, actually, when she found that website, she said, I am a Jewish feminist shrink. That means she's a Jew, she is a feminist, and she's a psychologist. Turn, come to find out two years ago, she, being feministic, gets a hold of a prolific author, a writer, a writer named Ellen White. She goes to the website and says, well, get me connections to this. She finds a book called The Desire of Ages. I want you to listen carefully. As she has read The Desire of Ages, this Jewish psychologist has come to receive Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Absolutely. I mean, just make the hair on the back of my neck stand up and say, thank you, Jesus. She found Jesus, the Messiah, as a Jew. Three weeks ago, I got an email from her because we've been going back and forth. And she said, by the way, Dwight, I'm getting ready now to celebrate the Passover and Easter. And how grateful I am, she wrote, for the living Christ, my Savior. Ladies and gentlemen, when somebody comes to you and they say, look, I, I, I want to find Jesus. Where, where, where are you working? Wherever it is, you don't need a big debate. You don't need a buddy to tell you what to do. You just say, okay, let me take you to Jesus. You do it with whatever comes to you at the moment. God pretty much is trusting you since they came to you in the first place. And so they come to Philip and they say, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And verse 22, Philip went and told Andrew. And the two the two heads don't, aren't any better than one. And so they go off and they tell Jesus. And in verse 23, Jesus answered them, The hour has come. Ah. All this time he's been focusing on reaching the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But now with the advent, with the coming of the Greeks, the world itself is knocking at Heaven's gate. And Jesus says, now it is. This is it. This is the hour for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now the setup for the Gospel Commission. Verse 24, truly, truly, in the Greek that would be, Amen, Amen, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. Look at, look at, this is springtime. You're planting your garden. You get that, you get that little bag of seeds, right? If you leave that bag of seeds in your garage, how many flowers will you get from those seeds? Zero. Nada. Nothing. You have to take a seed out of the bag and you have to literally bury it. It dies. You put it underground. Rest in peace. You put the dirt over it. And only then, once it's buried will new life and many more seeds come up. It takes one seed to die. One seed to die. But look at the harvest. That's Jesus' point. Truly, truly, I say to you, verse 24, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Verse 26, here comes the line I want you to go home with. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And here it is. Where I am, there will my servant be also. Did you catch that? Write it in your study guide, please. Where I am... 
There will my servant be also. I want you to be where I am, Jesus says. Where I am, you be there too. And so on this last Sabbath of the school year, it is right for us to ask, Okay, Jesus, where are you? Hey, do you, do you know where Jesus is today? Jesus Christ is today the same place where Jimmy Carter was on Tuesday. And that's not just because they have the same initials, J.C. Former President Jimmy Carter, you know this, was here with us in Benton Harbor this past Tuesday afternoon. And several of us from Andrews University were there in the crowded state theater to welcome him. And I took notes. The president, the former president is speaking. And by the way, as an aside, irrespective of your political persuasion, I was very much impressed how authentic and genuine is this kind and gentle-hearted former president. I mean, he could play golf for the rest of his life if he wanted to, but do you know what he's doing? He's going around promoting global peace and the eradication of poverty. The most powerful man in the world he was. Wow. And so to a thundering ovation, he stands before us and he says, you know, Rose, that's what he calls his wife. Rose and I just returned from visiting three African nations. The problems in those nations we see in this same country, we see here in Benton Harbor. And then he said, and I wish you would get this down. This is his, his perspective. He said, I believe the greatest problem facing the world today is the growing divide between the rich and the poor. He may just be right. The greatest problem. Of course, you and I would say it's spiritual. And as a Sunday school teacher, I'm sure he would say the same in a more intimate conversation. The great divide between the rich and the poor. And then he gave, gave some statistics. Would you write these down, please? He told us 1.2 billion people live on $1 a day or less on this planet. 1.2 billion, $1 a day or less. Half of the world's population lives on $2 a day or less. Think about that the next time you're having a rather scrumptious Sabbath dinner. Half of the world's population lives on less than $2 a day. And so President Jimmy Carter announced that he is coming to Benton Harbor's inner city to help Habitat for Humanity build homes a year from this coming June. And then, with all the passion of his Sunday school teacher Hart and former President Hart, he urged us, he called us to join him in a personal involvement in the life of that inner city. How did Jesus put it here? And where I am, there will my servant be also. Forget Jimmy Carter. Let's talk about Jesus Christ. Where is Jesus today? You know where Jesus is today? He is walking the streets of Benton Harbor right now. You say, I don't believe that. Hey, I found Benton Harbor in the Scripture. I found it in the Scripture. I'm going to put it on the screen for you. Take a look at this. Luke 19:41. And when Jesus drew near and saw the city, He wept over it. Christ walks the streets of Benton Harbor today. Prove it, you say, okay? This is a rather ponderous observation in the book that that Jewish feminist shrink found Jesus through. 
All right, the Desire of Ages. These words are from Desire of Ages. They're in your study guide. Many feel that it would be a great privilege to visit the scenes of Christ's life on earth, but we need not go to Nazareth, to Capernaum, or to Bethany in order to walk in the steps of Jesus. We shall find His footprints beside the sick bed in the hovels of poverty, in the crowded alleys of the great city, and in every place where there are human hearts in need of consolation. Get this. In doing as Jesus did when on earth, we shall walk in His steps. What did Jesus just tell us in the Gospel of John? Where I am, there my servant will be also. Where is He this morning? He's in Benton Harbor. So where should I be? Well, you figure it out. Oh, come on, Dwight, give me a break. Benton Harbor? Please. I mean, Benton Harbor's too risky. It's too iffy. It's too not me. To which John R.W. Stott responds. You got the words right there. Where is the spirit of adventure? The sense of uncalculating solidarity with the underprivileged? Where are the Christians who are prepared to put service before security, compassion before comfort, hardship before ease? Thousands of pioneer. Oh, I like that. Thousands of pioneer Christian tasks are waiting to be done, which challenge our complacency and which call for risk. End quote. How did Jesus just put it a moment ago? You read it. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates her life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Risk? Of course, the mission of Christ is risky. That is how the world has always been conquered. Back in 1830, the French philosopher Benjamin Constant received a hurried message from his friends in Paris who were overthrowing the Bourbon dynasty, and they wrote these words. I'll put them on the screen. A terrible game is being played here. Our heads are in danger. Come and add yours. Our students have been going for months, years, into the heart of this inner city. They say, our heads are in danger. Come and add yours. Risk. Risk has always been how the kingdoms of earth have been grown. And risk will always be how the kingdom of Christ is ever grown. Benton Arbor, outside the box, outside of our comfort zone, way outside the box for coloring. That's the call. Risk. How did Jesus put it here? For unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Which being interpreted, please, uh, interpreted means, would you please write this in? You must, write it in, please. You must bury, you must bury yourself in the furrow of this dying world's need. You must bury yourself. Say, so what can I do, Dwight? Oh, 
brother, here's what we need you to do. You can adopt a street in Benton Harbor. We've got people that are adopting streets, adopting streets. They did in first service. I hope you will in this service. But there's still hundreds of streets that we wish to give prayer cover to. Adopt a street. When this service is over, at the welcoming desk in the main lobby, at the welcoming desk downstairs, there are packets with streets, with, with a little map. You can pray for that street. Karen and I have adopted a street. We're going up this afternoon. We're just going to walk. We're going to pray. And eventually, our prayer walk will turn into a little knock on the door. It's no big deal. You know, just a little knock at the door. Hi, we've been praying for you, and we, we want to know, is there anything specific we should be praying for? That's it. We're not talking rocket science here. We're talking prayer force. A prayer force for Benton Harbor. You must bury yourself in the furrow of this world's need. When I came out of the State Theater on Tuesday after President Carter's address, I happened to bump into the mayor of Benton Harbor, Wilsey Cook. I want to tell you something. He, he got up after the president and gave a very articulate response. And so when I saw him there, I went up to him. He has no idea who I am, and I did not introduce myself. But I said, Mr. Mayor, and I shook his hand. I want to tell you, that was an articulate response to the president. Do you know what his words were to me? He didn't know I was a pastor. Do you know what he said to me? He looked into my eyes and he said, pray for me, will you? Ladies and gentlemen, Benton Harbor is a city that knows it needs prayer. The leader of that town... 14,000 people in the inner city. Pray for me, will you? It is the least you can do for God 12 miles from your very comfortable little neighborhood. You can do more. Don't get me wrong. You can do more, but at least you could pick a little packet up as you walk out today. You have to sign up, so... It'll take you a little while. Oh, that's terrible inconvenience because my Special K pot roast might get too hot. It's the least you can do. Say, I mean, I'm never, Dwight, I'm never going to Benton Harbor. You can, you can rant and rave all you wish. Fine, you don't have to go. With that kind of spirit, you don't need to go. But you know what you can do? You can take one of these packets. It has a map. It will show you the, the, the two blocks that you're being assigned to pray for. And you can pray and pray and pray. God does something when people join together and pray. Our heads are on the block coming at yours. The kids are going to have to go. They've got to go home. What are we going to do? Say, oh, well, good luck. We'll try to pick it up next year. We're not going to pick it up. We're going to keep it seamlessly going right through to the end. And we're going to keep going until Jesus comes. Because 12 miles away is about as close as you can get for a mission field without having to have a visa. So I'm going to go up there. Karen and I are going to go this afternoon. I'm going up there next Sabbath to preach because you're having graduation here. I'll go up there and preach in this little church plant that we have started. 20, 20 visitors last Sabbath. 20. Whoa. I'm honored. I want to go where Jesus is. Jesus said, hey, boy, I want to tell you something. Where I am, you must be also. I said, okay, where are you? He says, I'm in Benton Harbor right now. I said, I'll be there. I'll be there. You can be there at least by your prayers. Pick up a packet as you leave today, please. I want to say a word to you students who are leaving for the summer. You say, oh, sorry, I'll be gone. It's true. We'll miss you. I want to say a word to you seniors who will never be here again in your lives, maybe. I know Benton Harbor is off your radar screen very soon, but I want to say this. For the sake of your soul, you have to 
Find somewhere else a furrow in which to bury your life for the sake of the world's great needs. You have to find a furrow or you will die. You will, you will die at your own hands. You will shrivel up because a seed left on a shelf in a garage is dead. You have to get buried. Albert Schweitzer, the great humanitarian, theologian, musician, physician, missionary to Africa. Albert Schweitzer spoke these words. Look at this. I don't know what your destiny will be, students. But one thing I do know, the only ones among you who will be really happy are those who will have sought and found how to serve. It's the only way. You've got to get buried in the furrow of this world's need. That's the only way you'll ever grow. Desire of Ages concurs. One line, Desire of Ages, 825. Where there is no active labor for others, love wanes and faith grows dim. You're killing yourself. No active labor. You'll never make it. Impossible. For where I am... There will my servant be also. And he said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. It's time to get buried and die with him in the furrow of this world's great need. Are you willing to? Would you please? And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to Myself. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent Me, even so I am sending you. May the resurrected Christ who sends us and the Holy Spirit who accompanies us and the Father who has called us be with you and Me as we obey His commission. Amen.